you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is kind of right in the middle of your Bible. If you flop it open there, it'll come up pretty quickly, uh, somewhere around the middle. And we're going to look from uh, the end of chapter 11 through the first part of chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. And as I said, today is Memorial Day weekend, and as you're aware, are no doubt aware, Memorial Day is always observed on the last Monday of the month of May every year. And, and on that day, we as Americans, we stop and we pause to remember and to honor the men and women who have died while serving their country and those who have died while defending our freedoms as Americans. And it's my conviction that a day like Memorial Day is a good day. It's a good day for us to stop. I don't say that because I think death is good. I say that because it is good for us to stop and pause and remind ourselves that freedom is never free, that it costs to have the freedoms that we have. In fact, the whole purpose of this national holiday is so that we will remember the benefits and the blessings that we enjoy as Americans that required the many to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we might have those freedoms and those blessings. And it's my conviction that such a sobering thought, as we contemplate it, should not cause us to become flippant. It shouldn't push us to being uninhibited or in some respects unrestrained in our celebration of this weekend. Rather, I think it, it should cause us to become introspective. It should cause us to be appreciative of those freedoms that we have. And I think it should further cause us to, to live with respect of those freedoms. In other words, stopping our, our normal activities, pausing to remember the fallen. And as we do that tomorrow, I think it should humble us and make us grateful to those who helped secure our freedoms by giving their lives. And I think it should cause us as Americans to also become thankful to God for the freedoms that we do enjoy in this country as Americans. I hope that you will stop this weekend, tomorrow particularly, and you will do that, that you will soberly ponder that which is yours by right of the fact that there are those who have given their all for you. I think pausing to remember is important. Remembering is not something that we naturally are just good at. And I don't, I don't mean that we forget. Someone asked me this morning, said, you, you met somebody that I know uh, this last week, and, uh, and I was trying to remember where I even was this last week and was unsuccessful at doing that. I still don't know where I met the person. Remembering is not something that we're always good at. But I want you to know specifically, remembering is something that God reminds us to do regularly. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament and you start working your way through, you'll find the number of times that God instructed Moses and Joshua and David later on to instruct the people to stop and to remember. You want to know why? Because it was hard for them to remember. It was easy for them to forget. You get to the New Testament and you hear Jesus, even he, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, what does he say? This do in remembrance of me. Why did Jesus do that? Because he knew what you and I know. It's easy for us to forget. 
It's easy for us to get involved in our lives. It's easy for us to to get involved in the things that we're chasing and the goals that we have out there. It's easy for the doctor's appointments to keep piling up. It's easy for the activities of the kids to continue to pile up. It's easy for the day-to-day activities that every single one of us having faced come to grips with the fact that we've gone a week, we've gone two weeks, we've gone a month, we've gone a year. We haven't stopped to really stop and ponder and remember And I just submit to you this morning that remembering, remembering is absolutely necessary. It's necessary for you to to fully appreciate the benefits and the blessings that are in your life. But as we're going to see from our text this morning, remembering is absolutely necessary if we are going to enjoy the life that God has given to us. Our text is going to come from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes finds itself in that Old Testament genre of wisdom literature. And, and, and wisdom literature is, is some of that that, that kind of comes, and sometimes it comes at us from different angles than we might initially expect. You, you find that in the book of Job and Psalms and Proverbs and, and even the Song of Songs. All of those are part of wisdom literature. Most scholarship hold to the fact that Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, who was David's son. He was the second king of Israel. Solomon does not refer to himself by name in the book of Ecclesiastes. He simply refers to himself as the preacher, and that's how I'm going to refer to him this morning as we look through uh, at at the text that I want us to examine today. The overall tenor of the book of Ecclesiastes is one uh, that's expressed throughout this phrase that's repeated again and again and again throughout the book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, when you consider that, you start to realize that this book is kind of written from a hopeless negativism, is a is a pervading thought that's there. Especially when, he, when, when Solomon, when the preacher, considers all the things that are going on in the world from the horizontal perspective. He kind of comes back to the same thought again and again. What's the use? It seems hopeless. If you, if you chase it all out to its nth degree, you still end up where you started with vanity, with hopelessness, with negativism. But by the time we get to the end of the book, here in chapter 11, the preacher begins to give us some insight He begins to give us some some reasons for why we still have this life to live on this earth and and what we're supposed to do with it. And he begins in chapter 11 by addressing those that are young, and he concludes by addressing those who are old. And I think that's appropriate for us this morning, particularly on this fifth Sunday of, of the year when we traditionally invite all of our kids that are normally in children's church at this point to be in there with us. And so some of you parents, have got you're surrounded by your young ones this morning, and, and you're welcome. We're excited about that. We're excited about our kids being in here with us today because it gives them an opportunity to worship with us, and it gives them an opportunity to sit right alongside their parents in this process. And so we are doing that this morning, and I want you to know, kids, we're going to be talking to you today as well because what the preacher has to say here in Ecclesiastes is not just for adults. It's also for you as young people. In fact, he even addresses it that way. And so here's what I want you to know. No matter where you are on the continuum, no matter where you see yourself as a young person or as an older person or somewhere in the middle, what the preacher says this morning is for you because it comes from God's holy word. And what he tells us is remembering is absolutely critical. 
But before we get to that, let's read all of it today. We're going to begin back in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we'll go through uh, chapter 12. Begin reading with me there. Truly the light is sweet, he writes, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down and when the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows grow dim. When the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of the grinding is low. When one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low, also they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have given it to us, that we may be able to open it, read it, study it, We thank you for this beautiful day that we have to do that on. And and so, Lord, I know that for many of us in this room, there's all kinds of activities going on this weekend. There's all kinds of things going on in our lives right now. Yet here we find ourselves in this room with fellow believers in Christ, those that are trying to search the Scriptures to see what it is that you would say to them. So, Lord, we here we sit with our Bibles open in front of us. So my prayer is is that you you would help us to redeem this moment, not take it for granted, Father, we would truly examine what you would want us to understand from your word. This is truly a blessing and an opportunity presented to us. So help us to be able to push out all the other distractions, the things that would steal from us and help rob us of, of this moment. And help us to truly focus on what you would say to us so that our lives might be transformed. and We might become more like Jesus and that we might walk with true maturity in our discipleship and in our spiritual walk with you. So I ask these things and I pray them on behalf of my brothers and sisters and on my own behalf. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now as we examine this passage together, I want you to know that the first couple of verses that I read for you back in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 11, I believe kind of serve as an overview of what we're going to look at, uh, sort of the, the prelude to everything else that he says there. Verse 7, you'll notice, is, is, is positive. It's bright. It, it is bright and cheerful. The preacher tells us that light is sweet, and he says that to behold the sun is pleasant to the eyes. 
Now, who of us don't like, doesn't like to get up and experience a bright sunshine morning? I mean, especially after you've had a storm the previous day or it's, it's rained for two or three days. You know, who, you get up that next morning and that front has moved through and it's just a beautiful, bright, sunshiny day. I mean, it's one of those kind of days that you feel invigorated. You want to just go outside and you go... It's just great to be alive. I mean, that's how that's that's the way that, that the preacher is presenting this moment, and it's and it's not uncommon for us to experience that excitement. And that's what the preacher is saying: light is sweet. It's good to be alive. Enjoy the life that you have been given, all the years that you have. And that's the message that he's bringing to us. But then we get to verse eight. The message of verse eight is that if you live to be old, every moment that you have can be used to, to enjoy. But then he goes on to tell us, he says, look, remember though that the days of darkness are coming. Now, what does he mean by the days of darkness? Well, some believe that he's talking about old age. Some believe he's just simply talking about the time when our death comes. Perhaps there's an allusion to both ideas here, but regardless, what the preacher is encouraging us to do is to enjoy life, to enjoy all of the years that we have been given because the reality is for all of us that if we live long enough, we will die. Now, that's a sobering thought, but it's true. And we cannot negate the fact that we're born into this world and we give and live years that we live and that those years continue to pass. And ultimately, one day, we will face death. And what the preacher is saying is, is that in the time between then and now, live your life with joy. Live your life joyfully. The real question that bears in upon us then is how do we do that? How are we supposed to go about living the life that we have while we have it to live with joy? Well, the answers to those questions and the things that I think the preacher brings out in this text are going to serve as our points, the hooks that we're going to hang our thoughts on as we work our way through this text. I've organized them into some short sentences that I've provided for you on your outline. And the first thing that he tells us to do, the first point that I want you to note simply is this. He tells us to rejoice responsibly. Rejoice responsibly. Beginning in verse 9, the preacher segments off his readers into different groups, and he identifies the young there in verse 9, he tells them, Rejoice, young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. In other words, he says, Rejoice and be happy while you are young. Make enjoyment of life part of your existence now. Now, I remember when I was a junior in high school, and it's always about this time of the year and then in August when the kids go back to school that I tend to get reflective on those moments, right when, when the year school year comes to an end and right when it's beginning. I tend to turn a little pensive and reflective. And I remember my high school days, and I'm telling you, I loved my junior year of high school. My junior year of high school, everything was just clicking for me. I don't know, I don't know what happened after that, but it was clicking my junior year of high school. I was driving around in my blue 1971 Camaro with the white racing stripes that all of you have heard about ad nauseum and are tired of hearing about it, but that was what I was driving at that point in my life. Everything I had, I was, I was enjoying. I was playing on the high school golf team. I was enjoying. I had friendships that I thought were going to last forever. It was a great year. I think back about that, and I remember how happy I was, but then I also remember what else I was doing. I was always thinking about how much better the next year was going to be. I was thinking about even after I graduated high school how things were going to get even better then, you know, because then I wouldn't have to get up and go to school, right? 
And then I could get a real job where I didn't work afternoons and weekends. I could get a real job working during the day. And then I could go on about doing things the way I wanted. I could move out and get in my own place and have my own rules and do things my own way and make my own kind of life the way I wanted to. And in retrospect, as I look back on it, you know what I would have been much better off doing? Enjoying the moment that I was living. I would have been much better off if I had stopped just looking down the road trying to think of what else needed to change to make me just a little happier and actually enjoy the moment in which I was living. Stop pining for, for the future. Listen, I want you to know what the preacher says here is not just good advice for young people. What the preacher says here is good advice for everyone, regardless of our age, because you see what he's telling us is that all of us, all of us, the day for rejoicing is now. Now is the time for us to rejoice because we're not guaranteed a tomorrow. Not only that, our circumstances that we face tomorrow may be worse than the circumstances that we're facing now. And we will have spent our time not enjoying today, waiting for something better to come that never came. So we should rejoice now. But notice what the preacher goes on to say. He says rejoice, but then he says walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. In effect, what the, what the preacher commends to us is to follow the inclinations of your heart. Now, I want you to know that makes me nervous. It makes me nervous to read that. Literally, in the Hebrew, what, what, it, what it communicates is this. To, to walk in the ways of your heart literally means to walk in the impulses of your heart and in the way that seems best to you. Now, does that make you nervous when you read that? I mean, I'm reminded of what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I'm reminded of what the preacher says just a couple of chapters back in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3, where he says, Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. So is it bad advice to tell a young person or anybody else for that matter to follow the impulses of their hearts? Well, I don't think that the preacher is advocating that a person... Go and live recklessly and follow every single impulse of their heart. And the reason why I don't think that's what he's saying is because of the latter half of verse 9. In the latter half of verse 9, he says, Know that for all these, that's the inclinations of your heart, the impulses of your heart, the ways that you are going to be followed. Know that for all of these, God will bring judgment. He will bring you into judgment. What he's saying here is that an awareness of divine judgment should turn the pursuit of joy away from crossing over into sinful behavior. In fact, the preacher is really telling the young man to live his life with utter joy, but to be mindful of the fact that his joy is to be controlled by the knowledge that the Lord will one day judge his actions. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. He says, the young person who enjoys life in the will of God will have nothing to worry about when the Lord returns. That's good advice. The preacher says it this way, and I've just summarized it this way. He tells us to rejoice, but to rejoice responsibly, knowing that our actions will one day be judged. And I think that command is not, is not just for young people. I believe all of us need to be reminded that while God gives us the life that he has given us to enjoy, we need to enjoy it with that in our minds. That leads to this next thing, though, that he tells us to do. 
The next command on your outline is this. If we're going to truly enjoy life and the, the life that he has given us, not only do we need to rejoice responsibly, but secondly, we need to remove anxieties and evil. We need to remove anxieties and evil. Notice that the preacher identifies two things that ought to be removed. He talks about sorrow or vexation of the heart. And then he talks about evil or pain that comes to our flesh. So he's talking about something inward and he's talking about something outward. He's talking about anxieties and he's talking about evil. And, and I've labeled it anxieties. The New King James uses the word sorrow. Some of your translations will say vexation. The literal Hebrew word there means something that angers or, or grieves or irritates a person. This anxieties. Now, those things are going to be different for all of us in this room. What, what angers or irritates or vexes your spirit may not be the same thing that angers or irritates and vexes me. And what vexes me doesn't always vex you. It should, though, I think. I mean, personally, I think anything that angers and causes me anxiety ought to cause you anxiety too. But nevertheless, it's not always going to be the same. So, but even more than that, what we recognize is, is that it's not always easy to remove those things that are in our lives that create those anxieties for us, is it? It's not always an easy thing to eradicate our lives of some of those things that bring challenges to us and that remove that joy from us. We should do everything we, could, we can to remove them, but sometimes it's, it's truly not easy for us to do. So what do we do at that point? Well, the first thing that I would suggest just as a practical way of, of handling that is just simply say this, if you have some anxieties or some things that are frustrating you in your life that you really are outside of your control to be able to remove and completely eradicate from your life, sometimes the best thing to do is not to focus all your attention on those and actually focus your attention back on the blessings that are in your life. Sometimes it is really as that old song that we sing, sometimes count your blessings and name them one by one. You see, when you begin to do that and you switch your mind into the ways that God has poured his blessings upon your life and, and is richly throwing his blessings into your life, it suddenly takes your mind off of this over here that is, that is worrisome and bothersome to you, and it actually allows you to focus your intention and your, and, and your energies into a different way, and you begin to see God working in your lives, not just over here, but in all things. That's, that's one practical way that I would tell you that you can begin to control that. But you know, the Bible gives us other ways and tells us specifically those issues here don't go away. So I'm not saying that you ignore them. I am saying, though, according to what Scripture tells us, you are to cast your cares upon the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Literally, he says, don't be vexed about anything, but in everything, prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then he follows that up with a promise. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will then guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What that means is that the biblical way of removing vexation and removing anxiety from your life is to cast your cares upon the Lord. We give them to God and we leave them there. But now that's only the first part of what he tells us that we have to remove from our lives. That's more talking, I think, what's going on internally. But then he also says this, we're to remove pain from our lives or evil from our flesh and our bodies. In other words, this verse commends to us the removal of the things that we may be doing that brings about trouble into our own lives. These are sometimes actions or habits 
or evil, we can call it that way, that may be done in the body that brings about pain into our own body, that brings about suffering. And he's clear, we need to remove those things from our lives. If it's clear that those things are are inhibiting us from, from enjoying the life that he's created us to do, we need to go about the process of removing those pain, that, that evil from our lives. The body that we have been given is the only one that we have. And we should treat it in such a way so that we can enjoy the life that God has given to us. Now, in light of that fact, the preacher concludes verse 10 with a solemn reminder. He says, childhood and youth are vanity. Now, that just seems really hard to Swallow, childhood and youth are vanity. But let me say, he's not saying that childhood and youth are meaningless. That's not his point. It's not, it's not the way that he is, he is constructing his argument here. What he's simply saying is that childhood and youth are stages that pass by very quickly. They move very, very quickly. I'm not going to embarrass her, but I've got a newly minted 19-year-old in my house as of today. And I remember so distinctly when she was just a little baby. And I remember when she was just that little two-year-old that we moved out to Texas. Many of you remember that little eight-year-old that moved here with us 11 years ago. And you want to know how quickly those 11 years have gone by? Well, you know if you've raised kids, you know how quickly they go by. Now she's 19. Listen, childhood, children grow up, they become youth. Youth grow up, become young adults. Young adults grow up and become adults. Adults grow up and become aged adults. And then all of us find ourselves somewhere going, where did the time go? Childhood and youth. It's vanity. It passes by so quickly. And with the vanishing of youth comes the appearance of changes that we're going to to see in just a few moments. Changes that cannot be avoided. What all of that tells us is that life will bring anxieties, and the mistreatment of our bodies will bring pain. But as far as it is up to us, we should remove those things from our lives so that we may enjoy the life that God has given to us to the greatest extent that we can and with the greatest ability that we have. That's the preacher's message. So rejoice responsibly. Remove anxieties and evil. And then finally, notice this, the third thing, and this is where I... I told you we would get to. He tells us to remember your creator. Remember your creator. As I said earlier, pausing to remember is a key component to us being able to enjoy our lives. Here's where the preacher tells us that remembering your creator is really to remember that that God is the giver of everything and the maker of everything. You see, he could have said, just remember your God. That's the way he could have written it. But he says specifically, remember the one who created you. Remember the one who created everything. Remember the one who formed you, knit you together in your mother's womb, knew you before you ever drew your first breath. Remember the one who breathed life into you. In fact, Philip Graham Riken has written this. He says, by calling us to remember our creator, The preacher is calling us to live a God-centered life, making the God who made the universe our first and highest priority. In fact, this is the key to all other things he has called us to do in this passage, he writes. The reason that we're able to rejoice in in our long years of life or else in our youth and strength is because every day is a gift from our Creator God. The reason that we need to walk in holy ways is because our Maker is also our Judge. 
And the best remedy for any pain or vexation is to cast our care upon the God who made us and knows all about us. Everything he writes that the preacher says in this passage assumes and requires the close presence of God. Brothers and sisters, I would just say to you in general, in general, if you want to rejoice in the life that God has given you, it's going to require you walking in the close presence of God. If you don't get anything else that I say today, get that. For you to truly enjoy the life that God has given you in the time that he has given you to live it, it will require for you to walk in the close presence of God. And that's what it means to remember your creator. To remember your creator is more than just thinking about God. To remember your creator is more than just having thoughts that randomly come up in our minds about who God is and what he's done. To remember your creator means to pay attention to. It means to consider with the intention of obeying. To remember means to act decisively on his behalf. I love what Derek Kidner has written. He says, to remember our creator is to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and to commit ourselves to him. That's what it means to remember your creator. And here's the reason why that is so important, particularly for young people, because he's still talking to them here. The preacher tells us that young people should remember their creator now because difficult days will come. Days when they will no longer find as much pleasure as they found in earlier ones. Wearsby, Warren Wearsby, he summarizes verse 2 of chapter 12 this way. He says, in our youthful years, the sky is bright, but the time will come when there will be darkness and one storm after another. And that is why the preacher says that we are to act decisively on behalf of God now while you are young, because you won't be young forever. And that fact is revealed to us by what begins to, how he writes beginning in verse 3. Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 12, he introduces us to so many different images that, that it's, it's kind of, you sort of lose your train of thought sometimes working through it. But he's talking about what it's like to get older. When you're young, things are, everything works right. As you get older, I can attest to you, everything doesn't work right the way it used to work. And so listen to how he talks about some of those things here. He talks about the keepers of the house there in verse 3. And he, here I think he's referring to arms and legs that begin, hands begins to tremble. The strong men refer to the legs and perhaps the back that weakens and then suddenly you start kind of walking a little hunched over. The grinders that he speaks of here are really a reference to our teeth that so often deteriorate with age. The windows that grow dim really are a reference to the eyes and how our vision just gets worse with time. Verse 4, he refers to the doors that are shut that, that bring sound low. He's talking about our ears there and about hearing loss. The daughters of music, he talks about how they're brought low, how, how our voices tend to weaken as we get older. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, is thought to mean that sleep gets much harder to come by as we get older. There are fears or terrors regarding height and walking in the way. Some have taken that to mean about how many people are, are afraid of falling and, and how hard it is to get around. And then you've got the blossoming of the almond tree. With white almond tree blossoms are white, and so this really is a is a reference to how as we get older, our hair starts turning white or loose, as it were. 
The grasshopper, that, one, that one's an interesting one. What do you want a grasshopper is, is one that's got spring in his legs. He hops, he's able to jump. Suddenly, as you get older, you don't have as much jump. You don't have as much spring in your step. In fact, we begin to scrape along. Our aged, natural desires begin to fade. All of these are signs. They're signs that, that the journey of this life is drawing to a close. And then finally, the preacher says, look, a man goes into his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. He's referring to death. And he says, death will come upon all of us. Now listen, in light of that description, a description that we might as well go ahead and say, that awaits every single one. If you live long enough, this is what's coming. The preacher repeats his command. He says, remember your creator. You see, remembering your creator is not just for the young. Remembering your creator is for the old. It is for everybody in between. And he comes back to make this point. All of us should remember our creator now because death, though it, is, though it may even be expected, it still comes suddenly. That comes as a, as a fact of what he says in verses 6 through 8. He talks about a golden bowl that's suspended by a silver cord. That represents life. The, 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 the lamp that is there with the candle inside of it sits inside that golden bowl. And suddenly that silver cord breaks and the lamp falls in the light of life goes out. He describes it as like going to a well that has a, a, a wheel there and suspended from that wheel is either a, it's like a jar or even a bucket. And suddenly that, that wheel breaks and the, the jar falls down inside the well and it's, well, it's, it's, it's lost. That's how suddenly death can come. And with death, as he tells us in verse seven, all of us will return to dust for it was from the dust of the earth that we were made, and then our spirit will return to the God who breathed into us the breath of life. And this is the conclusion that awaits every single one of us. And therefore, both young and old and everyone in between should make it their practice to stop and pause and remember their creator. Philip Ryken puts it this way. He says, remember your creator now before you forget the God who made you and make a lot of bad decisions that you will regret later. Furthermore, remember God now while you still have life to live for his glory. Charles Bridges writes this. He says, many have remembered their creator too late, but none have remembered him too soon. So this is what the preacher tells us to do. Rejoice responsibly, remove anxieties and evil, and remember your creator. And then he gets to verse 8, and then he says it again. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. There's a part of me that wishes he hadn't written that there. I'd have felt a whole lot better if he hadn't made me feel like, wait a minute. So I'm just supposed to rejoice as responsibly as I can in this life and I'm supposed to get rid of all the anxiety and the evil that I can can in my life and I stop and remember my creator and then he comes back and he says, but meaninglessness of meanings. All is meaningless. Thanks be to God, though, that is not the end of God's love letter to us. There is more to this love letter. There is more in the, in the economy of God that he still had yet to reveal to us. In fact, as you turn to the New Testament, you come across some really good news. The Apostle Paul begins to describe a lot of exactly what we've discussed here. He, he understands completely the fact that life comes to an end and that this life that we have, this mortality, 
ends up coming on the, the best of us and we, the, the corruption of our hearts and our lives tend to take hold. But then he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. You see, if we leave the scenario back with what the preacher tells us in Ecclesiastes, that all is vanity, we might end up concluding that, that death still has a sting in its tail. We might end up concluding that, that death still victoriously swallows its victim. But Paul goes on to tell us that the sting of death and the victory of the grave has been removed by the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 39. He says, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Listen, the beauty of those verses is that they tell us that Jesus Christ ultimately came to raise up those who place their faith in him, to replace the corruptible mortal bodies with incorruptible immortal bodies. And what he did, what he, he tells us there in, in John chapter 6 is that God is the one who took the initiative to do that for us because we could never do it for ourselves. And he did it by sending Jesus who by his death and through his resurrection provides us with everlasting life. And what that means is that the beauty of the gospel is not simply that we are to remember our creator, but rather that God who is our creator remembers us. You see, God created you. As I said earlier, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you for himself and so that you would worship him. And he remembers you. And he remembered you to the point that he sent his one and only son to die in your place so that your life might be ransomed, might be bought back, might be, might be saved from the pit. God remembered you. And so, brothers and sisters, what is so incredibly important for us is that we remember the God who remembers us. In fact, that's, that leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning. You see, the way to enjoy both this life and the life to come is to remember the one who remembers you and gave his life that you might live eternally. What that means is that when your faith is in Christ, you know what? You have no reason to fear tomorrow. You have no reason to fear what the doctor tells you on the other end of the line. You have no reason to fear death and getting older because Jesus Christ has promised that he's going to raise you up. Jesus Christ has promised that you will have an incorruptible body and that you will live forever in his presence. It's only when we understand the hope that comes from what Christ has done that we can truly live every moment of this life in joy while simultaneously preparing to live the life to come in joy. So here's the questions that I would conclude with today. Are you doing everything you can possibly to enjoy the life that you've been given? And are you prepared to enjoy the life that is to come? Are you rejoicing responsibly? 
Are you systematically removing the anxieties and the evil in your life? And are you taking time to stop and pause and remember your creator who has remembered you? That is my prayer that you will do that on this day and that on this Memorial Day weekend in which we pause to remember those who have fallen in service of our country, I pray that you will pause and stop and remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you on your behalf, for your benefit, that you might be able to truly live the abundant life that he created you for and inherit the eternal life that he promises to all who will confess him as Savior and Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for how you love us. We thank you for this day that you have given us and for this weekend that we are able to stop. And many of us take some time that we would not have had otherwise to really remember those who have given their lives for us, but none more important than you giving your life for us. So I pray that we would do that. If there's one here this morning who's never given their life to you, they've never trusted in you, never truly placed their faith in you, I pray that today your spirit would draw them to you. I pray that they would listen and that they would humble themselves before you and trust in you. It's also my prayer today that there are those who have grown cold to you and traveled in some ways. Maybe they are trying to rejoice, but not as responsibly as they should. Maybe they are struggling with the anxieties or with some some evil, some bad habits in their lives that are creating significant difficulties for them. Lord, today is my my prayer that they they would change those things, that they would give them over to you and allow you to 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 move in their hearts and to smooth out those rough places for your glory, but ultimately for their good as well. I ask these things and I pray them in the strong name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.